Welcome to Hearing Your Side, a podcast for friendly conversations about controversial subjects. I'm your host, Brad Miller, and our topic today is immigration. My guest is Raihan, who immigrated to the U.S. from Uzbekistan. We discuss her story, how she handles integrating into American culture, cultural appropriation, the U.S. immigration system, the wall, what to do with the undocumented, and fears people have about immigrants. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hello, Raihan. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thanks for the invite. Glad to be here. Good. I I really want to thank you for agreeing to this because unlike my past guests, we have never met. And uh, I I put out a call to a mutual friend who has a much wider social circle than I do. And I asked, you know, do you know anyone who could talk about immigration? And immediately she said, oh, yes, I have exactly the perfect person for you. And she told me about you. And so here you are. So thank you very much. at the time that we're recording this, I feel like, and I don't know how you feel, that immigration is a hot issue in the country. And for you, it's not just a academic issue, it's a personal thing. So if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about your personal experience and your background. Absolutely. I am one of millions of immigrants that have mm-hmm. come to the United States, not just currently, but um, this is a country known as a country of immigrants, right. the melting pot. Mm-hmm. So my experience is just my own personal journey. So it would be too much of me to to (laughs) say that I can speak for the great majority of people that have been here uh, and are still on their route to the United States and and will be our new citizens. Um, To me, Pittsburgh's been home uh, since 2006, and I haven't lived anywhere else. Uh, outside of Pittsburgh in okay. the last decade. <laughs> so um, I'm claiming the city as my home. All right. And um, whether the city likes it or not. So <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's just uh, start there. Yeah, yeah, it is yeah. my home. And at times I wonder, um, when do immigrants become a fabric of this, the whole city? Sure. So I'm not sure when it happens on, on the city side of things. Uh, I certainly am. Uh, a Pittsburgher. Mm-hmm. I pay the taxes. I work here. I contribute uh, my talents, my time, um, resources. I volunteer. I have the right paperwork. So um, I don't know what else I need to be doing for the city to accept me as one of their own. Do you not feel accepted by the city when you say that, that, that you're a Pittsburgher, whether the city likes it or not? Have you had uh, confrontations or things like um, that? Of course, when I'm walking in the city, mm. people see me as an Asian female with a headscarf on. Mm-hmm. So I stand out. I don't look like many Pittsburghers. Mm. So in that sense, there is that immediate reaction, like whether it's curiosity or whether it's the otherness, I do stand out. Mm. So uh, immediately the, the question probably pops, where is she from? But is that a feeling you have or ha- is, is, have anyone ever explicitly... Made you feel uncomfortable like that? So on the positive side, I, I feel like I get treated as a guest. Okay. So yeah. um, it, it's a good feeling. I mean, on, on many days, it's more of she's a new Pittsburgher. Mm-hmm. And then when I get invited to speak on behalf of immigrants after 10 plus years, mm-hmm. um, that also says something. Mm-hmm. 
And I know it is my background, and I hope one day my kids will say, like, as a child of an immigrant, you know, <laughs> I, I'm proud to share that. And um, that is kind of like what's next for my kids. But um, in terms of a negative, yes, they, they, there is some hostility at times, too. Um, I'm not sure whether it is because of how Islam is portrayed or has been portrayed in the news, in the media, mm-hmm. or it's just because, you know, for all the evils that are happening, people feel like the outsiders are to, to be blamed. And that's, the, unfortunately, the spin that we hear on the news most of the time. Like, um, you're losing jobs because here they are coming in and um, taking the jobs away from you. Um, you're losing your culture because all of these people are coming and changing right. it. Um, whatever the narrative is, there is always pointing figure at the immigrants as being the others who are messing things up. And you think that comes just from a lack of meeting people like you and and a lack of experience with knowing that? or I wouldn't say there is lack. When, when you look for people who are different than you, you'll always find people that you can talk to. It's, it's more like reservation. And yeah. maybe it is a reservation on both sides of things. Maybe um, it is also on, on the newcomers to make themselves available to mm-hmm. join and participate. And yeah. um, when I say participate, it, it's, it's not in the sense like I go to where immigrants go. But also I go to places where I'm not comfortable, but I go there because I'm here. Yeah, that's something I'm really interested in asking you about is how do you strike that balance? How much do you feel like you need to integrate versus keep the culture that you came from? The word culture in itself is, is <laughs> means so much. Sure. Is culture food? Is culture music? Is culture the values? It's, it's a lot, you know. For example, now it's the Christmas season. Mm-hmm. And whether we are participating or not, we are in it. You know, (laughs) we've been practicing. (laughs) We've been practicing with my kids um, all the Christmas songs for the winter concert for the last two years. There is a lot of Christian background in in all all the classic musics, and we've been singing. (laughs) You know, we dress up in in the red and put our reindeer. um, (laughs) You know gear on and all that sure so whether we are asking for it or not it's here it is being celebrated and now we are joining that celebration Mm -hmm. but how do we preserve our identity in an environment where we are the newcomers Mm -hmm. it's a challenge for example just when you're looking at the calendar thanksgiving Right. Your employer gives you a day or two off <laughs> because it, it is right. a holiday, right? Mm-hmm. Do we get that during Eid as, an, as a day off? Not so much. You have to request and use your own time. So mm-hmm. as a family, as immigrants, we adjust to the majority norm. You, you, you see, mm-hmm. so do mm-hmm. we celebrate Thanksgiving? Do we participate in it? Yeah, now we are participating in it because it is a day off and we join in but do we eat turkey not not so much right so you, know? so you don't shelter your your children from the culture but you also try to preserve the things that you find valuable from we your adjust uh-huh. to the 
majority. Would you tell me about, do you say Uzbek culture? Okay. Our mutual friend who set this up was telling me that you actually are part of cross-cultural programs where you share about Uzbek culture. Yes. I know nothing about Uzbek culture. So would you, would you let me know some of that? You know, what, what, what you see as that? So um, I was born in a country that doesn't exist. I was born in the Soviet Union. Okay. My birth certificate was issued by the USSR. Mm. <laughs> you know. Wow, yeah. <laughs> so I was born in a country, then the country disappeared on me. I was still a child. Um, the perestroika and, and the new, like, joining the rest of the world kind of attitude, that was something that my parents uh, went through. Mm. And I, I just know of it because I was in it. Yeah. We went from an environment where I went to school and Russian or um, being able to speak and communicate in Russian was a, a sign of privilege. It was mm-hmm. a sign of intelligence. Uh, and then the country disappeared on me, and I was uh, a citizen of a newborn mm. Uzbekistan, which was trying to find its own identity, and then uh, the values shifted, and then Uzbek became the language and uh, mm-hmm. the motivation. And So this is a relatively uh, young culture, basically, yes. kind of is what you're saying. The, I mean, the history is history. Sure. It right. has right. Uh, thousands of years of things to be proud of, mm-hmm. uh, things to associate but Uzbekistan being under Russia for um, 70 plus years, it, it still left its um, imprint. Mm-hmm. So I went from Russian to Uzbek, but ethnically I'm Kazakh. Mm. So as I was um, making Pittsburgh my home, my family was moving from Uzbekistan to Kazakhstan okay. um, to seek their own ethnic roots. So it, it, it is uh, a strange place uh, to be where you're continually changing. Yeah. Uh, whether the, you're embracing or not, uh, at this point, as a child going through such change, it just feels normal and natural to me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when, you're used to it, huh? <laughs> When I was asked, I mean, like, it's not an ask. When I was debating whether I should um, move and, and start life somewhere else, it, it wasn't something scary. It was like, I'm going to go to U.S. Mm-hmm. and I'll just have to be somebody there. Mm-hmm. And I'm leaving the comfort of family. I'm leaving the right. comfort of what I've known. Which um, takes guts. Immigrants are not weak people. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, that takes a lot of... Bravery, I think. A lot of immigrants have the same, and I know, like some people may think it's aggressive in a way, but it, I wouldn't think it is aggressive. It's if you feel like there is an opportunity for you elsewhere, right? An opportunity that is not available to you in your current environment, right. and you know the cost of leaving your comfort zone. It is a calculated kind yeah. of a premeditated sure. mindset. Yeah. And once you come here, whatever comes your way, it's expected. You don't shy away from it. You, yeah. uh, and whether Pittsburgh welcomes me or not, I'm here because I made that choice to come here. Right. You know? I know your husband is actually also an immigrant, right? Yes. So you guys have a pretty unique experience. You've got immigration from two different countries. He's from? Rwanda. Rwanda. Okay, right. The fact that we decided to leave the comfort, the family, the values, the culture, whatever that still holds dear to your memories as as a part of you behind, Mm -hmm. you still miss that. 
yeah. you still get nostalgic about those things and you don't have your family here so you rely on each other a lot more mm -hmm. than uh, somebody who has family here somebody right. who feels like fish in the water with with movies with everything else mm -hmm. that's coming like there is a different kind of a sentimental need that is present for immigrants and and right. that's why i think most immigrants gravitate towards each other because they yeah they can, have shared experience can, yeah right? can can feel each other it's mm -hmm. like when i see somebody it's kind of like a mental nod like i see you okay you even know? if you come from different cultures yeah. it's still that you're sharing this experiment that you're on kind of yeah. you know um, was the process relatively smooth for you? We, we, you know, we can move a little bit into the American system of immigration. Did mm -hmm. you find it to be a, a, a smooth process, or a, would you, you know, because I kind of want to know your pros and cons, essentially, of that. You know, I, I have never directly had to interact with yeah. that part of the government. So, um, when when we talk about immigration in general, for example, there are like family members who I want uh, to come and, and see U.S. And, and see my life and my family and my kids. And mm -hmm. just to show, like, what kind of a life I made for myself here. And when your family members get denied uh, a visa to come here, it, 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 it's, you know, it means something. Mm -hmm. For those who are already here and are... Um, just changing the status from one category to another. Mm -hmm. It's years. That's what I've way, heard. Mm -hmm. You know, so in that sense, you feel like you have everything you need. Mm -hmm. Then, like, once you're here, you don't have anything else to go back to. Mm. And then you, to you be committed always, that much, you're yeah, saying. Uh -huh. To be always on the edge because of some process, mm -hmm. it, it is a stressor that you have to live with. Mm -hmm. And um, the weight itself, it, it can be a little bit burdensome. Was the weight long for you? Did you have... For me, it wasn't much, but I know a lot of people in the Uzbek community and in general in the immigrant community mm -hmm. who are still waiting for a simple answer, I would say, like, just say, like, your, your paperwork is uh, submitted and right. we're looking <laughs> at it, and it, right. it, it's just, just the unknown factor and that is your livelihood so to speak mm -hmm. like you can be working the next thing you're not as eyes to work mm -hmm. that that changes things right. for a lot of people and i'm only speaking about people who are pursuing status where they meet the criteria right. i don't even know where to begin for people who are not eligible yeah but are still here yeah. And they're and not it, going anywhere. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? So some people would say when you have someone like yourself or your family who've waited in line for 10 years and someone else cuts the line, essentially, you know, and whether they cross illegally on the border or whether they overstay their visa or something and they've just skirted by, the question comes up, well, well should that person be given a path to citizenship? You know, essentially, that's what a lot of people ask. And I've heard the argument that if you do that, then it disrespects the people who have been waiting in the line. Now, the line may be too long. As yeah. you've, you've said, yeah. it is long. But people are waiting in it. And when someone skips and then that person is allowed to stay, it, I guess the, the worry is it incentivizes people to do that. To say, okay, well, if I just skip the line, at some point I can become a legal citizen and I won't have to worry about this process, you know? In terms of skipping the line, mm -hmm. we don't know the story of 
people. It could be the person who was here already and circumstances have changed where sure. this person is coming from. And it Sometimes there's no country to go back to, yes. essentially. Like in, in your case, I know that that wasn't exactly your case, but the country you're from, uh, the Soviet Union, it, it's no longer there. You yeah. know, things like that do happen. So circumstances change. And then the person who's already here, by not including this person, and this person is already in a vulnerable situation, you're making the person even more vulnerable and desperate. Hmm. So when we are looking at each other and somebody is walking down the street, like as an individual, Mm -hmm. doesn't matter to me if this person has an ID or not, (laughs) you know? At person to person, I assume it wouldn't, right? It's more of a question about law, essentially, versus humanity. It sounds like almost you're saying that we don't want to lose the the idea that these are humans and these are people. Um, but a part of me wonders about the respect for the law of the country that you're coming to. You know, like you had said, you know, in terms of your, you know, your kids celebrating Christmas, you know, or, or, or choosing to do cer- yeah. certain aspects of Christmas, that there's a certain respect for that culture. And, you know, I can see people saying you should respect the laws of the country that you come to in addition to, you know, the humanity of the person that's coming there. Do you you think there is room for both in that situation? So there are three types of individuals, I think. Okay. People who know that there is a law, Mm -hmm. they know um, they have to respect the law Mm -hmm. because without the law, they believe there will be chaos. And in Mm -hmm. some situations, when people don't respect the rules, the chaos Mm -hmm. is to follow. Right. Naturally, I, I So agree. whether it is the just or unjust, they believe it's not up to them because right. there was a consensus and they've established mm-hmm. that consensus, then they have to respect the law and everybody should follow it. Mm. There are individuals who see that this law is not working mm-hmm. and they pursue legal means mm-hmm. to change the law. Right. It takes time. Of course. And... Um, that's how change happens. And slowly, right. there is a new consensus established. And people follow, so to speak, the improved version, where it is now someone who was left out is included. Right. And then there are revolutionary people <laughs> who see that there is law, and they don't care whether it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they don't want to wait. They purposely seek chaos. I was going to say, it's not a comfortable life, probably, yeah. if you choose that way. But then things happen yes. in, a, in, a, in a way where those who have been excluded will get included. Yeah. But the same can be used both for good and bad. Right. So as an individual who understands the rules... You just have to make a decision for yourself, what, and that is the power of democracy. Mm-hmm. Whether you want to be the person who respects and maintains the superiority of law, right? A person who will seek legal means to to change what needs to be changed, and you mm-hmm. feel like it is necessary to change, mm-hmm. or you want to join the the crowd that <laughs> you know thinks of themselves as activists right. and um, those who are impatient and mm-hmm. want to see justice be done now. Right. I love that answer. That's a really clean breakdown. I think of that. It is on the person basically to choose. 
Um, let's get into what you think are some things that you might change. I know that there's a lot of talk in terms of keeping immigrants out. There's a lot of talk about the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have thoughts on the wall? Yes. The co- okay, <laughs> good. Um, I, c- I couldn't imagine that you wouldn't. So, um, What do you think? There are two things about the wall. Okay. I like your, there, num- I like your yeah. number breakdowns. You got yeah. three things, and now we got two things. Yeah. I, lo- I love it. So, so there are two things about the wall. The wall is here already. Whether the physical wall is being built or not, the mental wall has been already um, present. And people already found themselves on one or the other side of that wall, especially the ones that are in this country. They know where they are. Right. People have pro and against immigrant feelings and sentiments. And um, mm. we see that. We see that in the news. We see that um, as an immigrant, I see it um, where regardless of what I have done, whether I have my citizenship, whether I'm working and paying taxes, whether I volunteer my time, because of my accent, they, they, there's still that like... A barrier a in barrier. some small way. And do I, on my side of... As an immigrant, do I try to work on my accent because I don't want to overwhelm the audience and I want to communicate effectively? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do that mm-hmm. because I know as a newcomer, as an immigrant, it is my responsibility to, to fit in mm-hmm. and make sure that what I'm trying to do is accepted. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there are people who get overwhelmed and they don't want that mm-hmm. because it's outside of their comfort. So that's the first wall is this that, mental that's wall. That's the mental right, wall. Right, right. And it has nothing to do with we were talking about whether this person is documented or undocumented. It's just mentally, it's mm-hmm. just, I, I like to hang with my own crowd. Kind <laughs> of. <laughs> it's, it's comfortable. Yes. I like to eat my own food. I like to listen to my own music, and I like to preserve my own. Yeah. And that's fine. And you don't seem to have that. It seems like you are, like like we talked about before, you're mixing it up already with your children and your husband, that you're, you're integrating certain things, you're keeping certain things. Before we get to that second wall, can I ask you just real quick about the idea of cultural appropriation? Just yeah. because that term gets thrown around a lot whenever we talk about sharing cultures. Yeah. And it seems like you're a person who likes the idea of sharing culture. Yeah. Um, have you heard this term? Yeah. Appropriating. Well, so, what do you think about it? So the appropriation, it is the intent of the person who's using somebody else's culture. Like, mm. what is the intent? Mm-hmm. Are they using it in a respectful way, in a way that they want to communicate? Their, like, teachers teach about in my kids' school, right? Yeah. They, talk, they talk about Hanukkah, they talk about right. Kwanzaa, right. they talk about different ways to celebrate Christmas. And uh-huh. uh, when they share the symbols, the music, and the games with the kids, they're not appropriating anything. They're using those cultural um, symbolisms, and they're using it for good. They're, they're bringing awareness, mm-hmm. they're, they're teaching the diversity right. of um, the world around them. Right. It is when you use those things... Um, with a bad intention? With bad intentions. Mm-hmm. Or you disregard the value or the symbolism that holds for that person from that culture. Mm-hmm. So if I were to start to enjoy some of your culture's food, 
music, then all yeah. of those things. I view that as a strength of cross-cultural. Uh, you're part of a cross-cultural exchange. Experience, yeah. Yes. And, and I view that as a strength of the United States, but also a lot of places that uh, of just people in general that we have strengthened ourselves by sharing. So I love that. I love, you know, Tex-Mex, which is a mixture of two cultures, right? Yeah. It's a type of food. That, that's a bad example, maybe, but you know what I mean. Yeah. So many things have come from cultural mixes that are great. So I think it's interesting to hear you put it that way. So the intention behind it. Yes. Do you have an example of a bad intention that you've seen of a, of a cultural, maybe even with the Uzbek culture that you've thought this, well, this was a like not... one example. If yeah. you are wearing the Islamic scarf mm-hmm. during Halloween, well, that, what, what does that mean? <laughs> you, know? you don't think that person is saying, I love this uh, culture, uh, I love this scarf. They're saying if, it's if, funny yeah. or it's disrespectful kind of an idea? You will know what the crowd is using our, or, or people because if it's to make fun or to right. portray it as, as a bad thing then of right. course like then yeah. don't don't use something that you don't understand without giving any thought like right being just careless yes just saying haha this is different yeah um, that, and that kind of ties into what we're talking about the wall so I appreciate that little side path yeah. but the the mental wall oh these people are different we're talking about that um you said that you know that's the first part. Yeah. So can you talk about the second part? The second part is that the government is building the physical wall. We're closing our borders. Mm-hmm. And that tells to the rest of the world we're now isolating ourselves. Mm-hmm. Whether it is building the wall for security so that uh, we limit the number of people that are coming into our country right. versus we don't want to interact with the world, that physical wall signals to the rest of the world where we are going now. We are isolating ourselves. And you see that as a negative, I, I take yeah, it. Yeah, like there are people who I stay in touch with from former Soviet countries that now they don't feel like they want to come to U.S. because It's not a welcoming place? It's not a welcoming place. That's they, interesting, yeah. They want, to, like, they want to spend their money in Asia. They want to spend their money in Turkey, some places, except like they don't want to bring their money to the United States. Mm-hmm. Do you think there could be a physical wall and a sense of welcoming? Well, when we talked about the perestroika, mm-hmm. right? right? It just takes you back. And it seems like when we say history repeats itself, how long ago was when we were celebrating the fall of the Berlin Wall? <laughs> you know, um, how long ago was it that we said the, the Iron Curtains? It meant something. When the physical wall was there, it meant that we're closed, we're separated. And um, that's, that's the and symbol. You see that all the time, yeah. right. And then when those walls, like Mr. Gorbachev take down the wall, the world celebrated something. It, it, not just the countries that were involved, it was a celebratory moment for the global community, so mm-hmm. to speak. So us now building a physical wall, mm-hmm. It means something to those who are outside. Right. Yeah, I'm, I, I like hearing you talk about these mental spaces and these intention spaces because a lot of people just think, well, it's just a physical barrier, but it also does have an impact on what people think about the country. Um, I, you know, I've heard a lot of illegal immigration is from overstayed visas. It's not from border crossings. So that's part of why I, I've sometimes wondered if it's going to be as effective as people think it is. And maybe one reason people who do love the wall love it is, like you said, that's the message we do want to send is stay out. We're here, you're there kind of a thing. 
But then I'm also surprised how the people who love the idea of the wall love being, to me, mentally closed out. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of stewing in that. Yeah. You know, well, good. You know, because a lot of people that are very supportive, I think, well, this is this is a a strong country then if we have that. But that's not how it works. Like, right. Whether you like it or not, you're part of a global community. Your jobs are now not here. And it's, it's the same economy. It's, it's the same system that sent the jobs elsewhere. Mm. Your way of life is changing not because of immigrants, but it's changing because of this global, um, whether it's technology, talent migration, Mm-hmm. Just the decline of population, mm-hmm. those are the trends that are affecting you. Right. You can choose to ignore those things, but it doesn't mean that it's not happening. Right. It is happening. So this is a way of closing yourself off. Then maybe that's yeah. why you mentioned the first wall is you're just closing yourself off from having to think about that, but it will still impact you. Yeah. No matter which industry you look at, technology is becoming very much ingrained into the fabric of labor. Mm -hmm. People who are not upgrading themselves with skills that are necessary to be in this new workforce will be pushed out. Mm. But is it on the individual or is it on the... The system. System. (laughs) For example, like, do we, if we look at the system side of things, have a responsibility to educate people for the future workforce? Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, from early on, I believe we shouldn't just focus on learning how to read and write, but (laughs) we should also learn how to do those things in a digital way. Mm -hmm. Um, Should we anticipate that the automation will move faster than humans in terms of staying on top of the skill? Yeah, automation. You should probably prepare for uh, that. Yeah, that is uh, something that moves faster than than humans. Of course. You know? Yeah, it's a scary thought for a lot of people. But are you saying that, you know, you shouldn't hide from that thought? But you shouldn't. Like, that's the thing. It's not just being afraid of immigrants. It's being afraid of... Change. Anything that changes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, but then again, it's like change is happening whether you like it or not. Right. It's natural. And mm-hmm. it is on us to be able to foresee where the things are going. And then we have a responsibility to say that it's coming. Kind mm-hmm. of when you anticipate there is going to be a change, mm-hmm. you get better prepared. You Are you going to have anxiety? Yes. Of, of course, we all have anxieties. And that's why I said like, As an immigrant, I do feel like I do have a competitive advantage over others because Mm. I asked for it myself. I I was ahead of it. Like Mm -hmm. I I purposely left the comfort zone to ride the wave of change. Right. And I see you as a stronger person because of that. I feel like you're made of stronger stuff than maybe someone who just coasts and doesn't care about change or whatever, doesn't prepare because you had a lot to lose, but you still did it for what would be better for your future. And uh, maybe a lot of people in this country don't have that attitude. And it is unfortunate. Right. <laughs> you know, and I... They're going to be left behind, That's why you try to resist. Right? A lot of people resist change for the same purpose because... So it, try it, to stamp you, it back into the yeah, box. Be, you know? Because you, you want to maintain the comfort. You want to feel like you're in a safe place. And then, meanwhile, somebody somewhere else 
is already yes. hungry yeah, to learn yeah. and be ahead of it. And when we talk about jobs, right, are coming this kind and of taking those jobs because <laughs> they know how to do those things. I mean, like sure, it's, it's right? as simple as that. But it's the march of progress, maybe yeah. too. So my recommendation would be actually go out and be aware, educate yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what do you think about the cheap labor idea that there are immigrants, illegal immigrants in the country that are willing to work for much less and that that hurts the poor income American worker? It hurts all the poor people, right. whether they're immigrants or American people. Right. When you have work that you're doing for seven twenty-five, right. and it's not sufficient for you to survive, then it's not just hurting immigrants, it's hurting everyone. So pointing fingers at each other in that sense is, is not a way to go. It's mm-hmm. actually including everyone who is being hurt by 725 an hour job mm-hmm. and can't get ahead. That is a better way to go. When we say stronger together, I guess that's what it means. Right. You, you can't go at it alone. You mm-hmm. just have to see who else is with you on the same boat and mm-hmm. try to row the boat in the direction you need to be. There you go. So that's the job aspect of that. And then the other thing people worry about is is crime or terror or uh, dangerous immigrants coming in. And I'm, I'm sure that there are, as you've pointed out, because there's bad and good people, there are bad and good immigrants. You know, I think under Obama, he focused on deporting only those illegals that were involved in criminal activity. He focused on that. Mm-hmm. Under Trump, I think they've broadened it a lot more. Now we're trying to maybe deport any illegals. But the the concept of the dangerous immigrant. What do you think about that? You know. Well, how do we create an environment for danger goes into it. If I was a person who left everything behind and came here and for one reason or another couldn't make a living, then I will be resentful uh, when you don't have any friends, when you constantly feel like you're an outsider, you will naturally feel like nobody cares so why should I care you know that's where you come in like including everyone creates peace excluding anyone creates resentment Hmm. even when you think about not in terms of crimes if there is a public health issue and somebody is sick with something that is contagious and that somebody is not on any book but he or she is here Mm -hmm then it is a public concern because that person is here. It's same with with the people who are excluded. Whether you now say they're illegal or legal, it doesn't matter. Whether they have a document or they don't have a document, it doesn't matter. That person is in our community. And we need to include everyone in the community for everybody's. You're saying it's almost a safety issue at that point, right? That the more that you make people feel like outsiders, Possibly the more they're attracted to... Harming. Harming people. <laughs> Without any guilt about it. Because who cares about these people? They don't care they about don't me. They don't care about me, so That's why interesting. should I care about them? Interesting. Now, that again, back to that us versus them. Right. When we talk about safety, there is this systemic approach of creating an environment where there is an external threat and then you can respond to it. Mm -hmm. So do we have that taken care of? In most senses, yes, we have the strongest military in the world. And if somebody dares to attack us, then we have a system of retaliating and and taking care of that. Mm 
But this is more of like internal. Do we utilize every way to prevent it from happening from that threat being inside? Mm-hmm. I don't think I, I'm not a law enforcement member. Maybe sure. they do. But as a community, we certainly are not doing as much as we should be to welcome and include everyone. Mm. So you're saying if you're afraid of the immigrant, it might be time to get to know more, essentially? Yeah. I see. Don't be afraid to go talk to others. Mm. It's, it's as simple as that. When, like, I know we use big words like be welcoming, <laughs> be inclusive, uh-huh. uh, diversity. Just talk to people. Don't be scared of not knowing. But then when you talk to people, um, have good intentions about it. Like if somebody asks me, where are you from? Just as you can feel the energy before somebody even opens their mouth, you know the, <laughs> like what kind of intentions are there. You can sort of read the yeah, person. You can, like, it's, I, I, it's a human instinct, yeah, like you know. I mean, I've, I've said you and I had never met before. I have to admit, I was a little nervous about saying things like, how do I pronounce your name? Uh, I, I, what is Uzbek culture? Because I don't know. And those are things I'm ignorant about. But I knew if I asked them the wrong way, it might come across as if, like I'm investigating you. Yeah. Um, I am genuinely curious about your culture. And, and I, you know, I, I know there are other people out there that are like me that do care about that, that are curious, open to talk to people. There are really good, there are a lot of good people. Can, and you, can you share a good immigrant experience that you've had? Because I know yes. you mentioned, yeah. Because I am here and because as a Pittsburgher now, Mm-hmm. I, I host international visitors. I open my home oh, okay. for dinners. When new immigrants come to town, I feel yeah. like it is my responsibility now to provide some sort of comfort to them. Mm-hmm. So anytime when there is a need for translation or when people are looking for advice or something, I, I try to make myself available. Mm-hmm. When places invite me to, to speak about you know, immigrant experience or talk about this and that, I make myself available. Mm-hmm. Um, I also bring international people in a sense that I am uh, a local coordinator with uh, a high school exchange program. Mm-hmm. So I look for host families that are mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh and who are willing to open their homes and hearts to the students for one academic year. Right. So I, I go out and find um, good families that are in Pittsburgh that mm-hmm. are willing to have somebody's kids as their own. And, and that's wonderful. You know, so it is not all bad. When you look for good things, for good people, you find them. Mm-hmm. But, but it's again... You wouldn't know or meet these people and you wouldn't come across the generosity of human heart unless you are out there and on the edge of uh, discomfort. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's, it's on us. We have to use our own agency. If we complain about something, then, then we take the responsibility to do something about it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are asking for the government to just bring the hammer down. So they don't have to do anything. And yeah, it's interesting to think of before you even say that, think about what are the things that I can do to affect that change that I want. It sounds very cliche. It sounds very uh, simple, but I think it's true. That, yeah. It is like in a cliched way when you like look, like wake up in the morning and like you look <laughs> in the mirror and say like, I can do it, I can do it. And then like it just ends there. Like right. you have to do right. X, Y, and Z so that you feel like you've done it. Right. Just like yeah. 
you know. And when when the families that because my wife and I don't don't have our own children, but we've talked about hosting these mm-hmm. foreign kids and things. The families that you've seen who have done that, who you've said they've been good people, they've been open to it. Have they talked about the benefits that they've gotten from doing something like that, from stretching yourself in that way? Absolutely. Well, they feel like they are in a way when we're talking about the mental and physical wall. Yes. They are... Trying to um, break the mental one down. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't break the physical one. They are... As we uh, build walls, they're building bridges. Oh, okay. Especially with uh, high school exchange students. You're bringing someone's child into right. your house. Right. And that says something welcoming to that family yeah. of that child. I'm sure that even though there are people in this country who would like to keep you out, there are some who would also like to bring you in. To bring in. you in. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then for the families that are hosting, they're learning more about themselves and Mm. they're re-exploring their own value because now you've created that connection. Right. So every time when somebody asks you about what does it mean, like what did you say, like why do you care about (laughs) stealers, then it makes you think, like why do I really care about the things? Do you care about the stealers? (laughs) <laughs> long pause long pause that's not one of the, the cultural things you've integrated i guess huh it's not, totally it's yeah. totally fine i was just saying to my wife it's there's a, a lot of steelers fans outside of the state and outside like, of the city not to say that i just don't care about sports in that sense i, I also don't yeah. care that much about sport yeah <laughs> so I, it's not just steelers. i'm not i'm not a diehard I, I just thought i would uh, put you in the hot seat but when we talk about Pittsburgh and when we have visitors, of course, I say, like, we, our, our teams are, you know, Steelers uh-huh. and the Penguins right, right. and the Pirates. And it's like, <laughs> it is a part of Pittsburgh identity. Yeah. yeah. But personally, <laughs> sure. No, I don't seek, uh, you know, tickets and I, I don't um, yeah. watch it. And I know your husband's not here to speak for himself, but... Is there anything from his experience that you want to share that you've seen that may be unique to him because of Rwanda and its history or its situation? I wish he could uh, talk more about it, but the fact that he is from Africa, in two ways he can blend in, in a way that people before he opens his mouth wouldn't know. Uh But then when he does, the attitude changes from you are African-American, that is here and then you are a foreigner mm-hmm. you know and then because you're a foreigner whatever's going on with african-american doesn't affect you mm. like we're gonna treat you differently because you're different mm. i can tell you that over the course of my life i've i felt like i've noticed so much more cross-cultural relationships or understanding in the united states even for, over the course of my life i just feel like i see so many blending cultures blending races blending relationships and things so i almost feel like it would be more normal but it probably depends on maybe where you are what i can say is that both of us feel like we are here this is our home and we have our own part to do to make the city more um open-minded the city has been very generous just as you you feel here and there there are some judgments in general, we've, we've been very blessed. Both mm-hmm. of us have uh, good, stable jobs, and there are other opportunities, too. Mm-hmm. People have been very uh, inclusive. Mm-hmm. That's been the majority experience. Yes. Which is great. But um, at the same time, <laughs> you always... know, 
our experience is one of many. Of course. We both had good education, which may not be the case for many immigrants. Mm -hmm. We speak English, mm -hmm. which may not be the case for many immigrants. We have resilience in a way where we've learned to rely on each other, which may not be the case. So when you take one or two things away, then the trajectory of your journey and experience changes. Of course, yeah. So we understand that our experience is not afforded to everyone. Right. That's why I say, like, you guys have to go and talk to others. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's you the message. You wouldn't know people's story until... Right. Even a term like immigrant is so broad. Yeah. Even within your own house, you've got multiple countries immigrating. You know what I mean? There's mm -hmm. just so much that would go into that. So to say keep immigrants out or keep illegals out, you know, that kind of thing. It is, it is a broad brush. I mean, a lot of our problems probably come from painting with too broad of a brush, you know. But I appreciate you putting that out there. Um, I did want to know more about Uzbek culture because, I mean, to me, when I heard Uzbekistan, I almost had to look on the map to see where it was. And I apologize, but I'm just that sheltered and, uh, and I'm admitting that, you know, I... I could see a lot of people thinking, you know, is that is that even a real country, you know? So, what do you what do you want to share with people about Uzbek culture that that uh, you know enlighten me? So, Uzbekistan is also a very diverse country. The small village I grew up had Belarusians, Russians, Koreans, Uzbeks, Kazakhs, mm. and is um, a melting pot of its own. It, yes. Mm -hmm. So it came naturally that we would speak both Russian and Uzbek, and so did the Russians. They used uh, the Uzbek language mm -hmm. as fluently as they used the Russian. Mm -hmm. So it, in, in that sense, uh, prior to um, thinking about diversity and inclusion... <laughs> you already had some after I, that, yeah. <laughs> It was my natural environment right. in my childhood. It's like kudos to all the families in the neighborhood. Right. That were like, whether we're different or not, we have this sense of community. Yeah. And we watch each other's kids. And right. I know this is like a small town. Sure. So it was more of like, this is how we live. Yeah. Just get along. You were already, place. you were used to that at an early age, it yeah. sounds like. So that probably made your experience here a little easier then, right? Because you come into a, a kind of a mixed environment different cultures, even different streets might have different, you know, cultures yeah. going on. But then you're kind of used to that. Yes. Were your children born here? Yes. You know, are they curious about the Uzbek culture that, you know, is there anything that you've shared with them that they really like or well, that they're excited to kind of pass I on to people? I shared with them. I grew up in, in a village with, we had cows and I had mm -hmm. to do gardening and I had to mm -hmm. take care of animals and I had to milk the cow. Before going to school, <laughs> I had like 10 different responsibilities and chores that I had to do right. and go to school and then come back and just get back to it. So in that sense, they just feel like I grew up somewhere in like a nativity scene. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. And a hard worker, it sounds like, you know, you yeah. got a good work ethic there. And I don't know if you liked it, but it sounds like you... You had that. And I believe even like in the United States, when you talk about feminism and, and right. things like that. Yeah. In my family, there are six girls and a boy. Oh, really? Wow. There was no like, uh, because you are a girl. Like sure. my father, I guess, had to become a feminist. <laughs> the workforce was there and <laughs> yeah. it was all women and nothing you can do about it. 
That's so, really funny, actually. It, it, it wasn't a matter of a choice. <laughs> right. It was just like uh, the way it was presented to him. So yeah. I think in that sense, when you grow up in a village, there is also that solidarity. If, like when I go and we buy our meat for eat from the Amish community in Pennsylvania. Oh, right. And yeah. I see the Amish kids. It's like, it's, I know. Yeah. I, I lived their life. I was going to say, know? we have a lot of cows in Pennsylvania. If you yeah. drive across this state, you will smell some cows for <laughs> sure at some point. So, yes. So there is that solidarity. Right. Which I, I do want to introduce to my kids. And like when you're saying you live in, in a household with different cultures, when I was going to the direct source and milking the cow, my husband growing up as a kid in Kigali in, in the capital city of Rwanda, mm-hmm. he thought that milk comes in a bicycle. You know? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so there are differences like that, but um, mm-hmm. it is the stories that we share with our kids that um, will uh, become a part of their personality. Yeah, already I can see this this generation of kids you're raising is going to be so much more cross-cultural just off the get-go because they just have three different cultures maybe or or more coming together in one house and I can't imagine your kids being closed-minded as a result of that and that's the beauty of it mm-hmm. like the this is the cultural sharing that I was saying is I think a good thing yeah not not the the bad intention version but the one that's like let's all merge our cultures understands together so for example, my kid, he, like, when we traveled to Canada and we're coming into United States and we're crossing that bridge and we see in a distance the U.S. flags, he was all like, that's my home. Yeah. That's my flag. <laughs> you know, I was like, where did this child come from? Yeah. Like, <laughs> he got but excited all of a sudden. That is something that as parents we also understand. Like, right. Regardless of where we came from. Right. This is their country. This is their home. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have these patriotic feelings yeah. towards certain symbols they claim as theirs. And that's the thing I've heard a lot with with the illegal immigrants that are in this country that have been here for years and years and years and have a family and children is that the children now view this as home. They've been here so long. And you and have so, to respect that. Right. And that, that is a real thing. And so it's a question. And, and one thing I've heard floated around is if they've, you know, the skipping the line idea sounds really bad, especially when you're talking about somebody maybe with, a, you know, a criminal history or something. But when a person who has been here so long and worked so hard and proven themselves to be a real American in any every way they could possibly be, tried to learn the language, tried to work hard, all these things that you're talking about, that maybe for someone like that who is like the best of the best, that they should be given a special exception. I've heard that, that maybe not everyone be given a path to citizenship just just for being here because of the message that might send. But when people are have proven I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't know what to think about that, you know. What do you think? That's the thing. Like, the, the burden of proof is always on the newcomer. Mm. And we talk about worthiness, right? Are they now you're saying, like, because they've proven themselves to be the best of the best. <laughs> what about giving a chance to those who are not? Are they not worthy? Well, this has to do with, I guess, granting citizenship to people who are here illegally. You know, I'm I'm sympathetic to people that are coming here because of really rough situations in the countries that they came from. Mm-hmm. I'm more open to that in terms of someone crossing illegally than I am 
someone who had a comfortable life in the country they came from and then illegally came here. I don't understand that as much as the person who maybe was a refugee or something like that. I'm not a, a lawyer or anything like that, but I, I, I would like to see more weight given to the person who is literally escaping mm-hmm. from something dangerous, something like that, providing asylum basically to people like that. Do you have thoughts about that or the way that we handle that? I mean, I, I know that there's been a, a lot of news about you know putting people in cages and things like that. For people who are coming from rough situations, I know that we have a system where we screen refugees uh, prior to uh, issuing them U.S. visas. Um, There is a system that asylum seekers go through, but the number of um, visas that are being issued and the number of people that we're accepting under the current uh, situation has has been going down. Mm-hmm. So those who are um, in those extreme situations, their numbers are not going down, mm-hmm. but we are not accepting them. So what choice do you leave to those who are still in a desperate situation? Would still you tell them, like, accept your faith and die? Like, I mean, are we talking These about... These are tricky questions, right? Oh, absolutely, you know? yeah, the, yeah. It's a, it's a tough one to solve, I think. For me, like there is a heart part and there is a head part because, of course, I don't want anybody to suffer those situations. And America, as you said, has a reputation. If it does turn people like that away, how does that look? If it builds a wall, how does that look? You know, these kind of things do speak to the rest of the world. That the head side of me says we can't... Accept har- everyone. We can't accept everyone. Yeah. It would be... You know, it's a little bit like the homeless problem in California or these bigger cities where they've just sort of taken over in a lot of places. Your heart wants to allow them all, but at the same time, there's a practical limit to how much city you have and how much streets you have. And, you know, sometimes they'll park right in front of a business and they'll put their their stuff there. And and so those kind of things become a really interesting split between heart and head for me. And you're a very smart person, so I'm sure that you've thought about, you know, the practical side, we cannot allow everybody. But we have a, a population decline, you know? Okay. Uh, and yeah, I'm, how I'm are we going to solve it? Even when you look in the city of Pittsburgh, when you have areas that are abandoned and outside of the city, mm. you, you see areas that are turning into ghost towns yeah so i drive speak. through them all the time and it's like you know, it's it's weird you'll see there's these no business yeah they, storefronts that are just closed you know they're just sitting there and you think a couple immigrants could fit in there yeah <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's true i i do drive through a lot of what i would consider ghost town i, I don't know if they're they, they don't look like wonderful places to live but they might be better than what people are used to coming from so a war zone I, you know we, we do have it, it's not like we don't have you're saying Montana has a lot of space? <laughs> so that, that is not the argument like, oh, we, we can't accommodate. Like, we just need to know and start thinking about how we can um, benefit yeah. also on our side of things. There is the demand to be here. What are our needs? And can, can we make a match? Feel, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Fill that, that gap. And you're talking about like, the humanitarian side of things like oh like people fleeing desperate environments and situations and uh, how do we respond to them in, in a humane way 
But I'm talking about like we need people right. because we don't have enough nurses and we don't have enough doctors. We don't have enough IT specialists. So we are in a, like businesses who are really in demand. They are they are going and uh, bringing people the talent from mm-hmm. elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Because we need to take care of our own people here. Mm-hmm. If we need the nurses, we bring them now. Do you think technology could help to solve this problem with approving and disapproving on a quicker basis, maybe in some way down the line? We seem like we have a very slow system. It's a bottleneck, I mm-hmm. guess. Some people waiting you know, 10, 12 years. You know, we talked about the possibly spooky part about automation, but what about things like that being brought to bear on this problem? Yeah. Technology is a solution to all sorts of situations. Sure. In my father's experience, he he was in a construction industry all his life, and they had people digging canals, and it was taking a toll on the workforces. Like they, they had right. back pains and all of this stuff. Right. And then they went and bought like ten excavators and extractors, <laughs> and back like, pain over. <laughs> like you know, and you know, like you only needed one person who could operate that. Sure. Um, and then, yeah, like they lost ten people sure. and replaced it with one machine. It's the same scenario, like. What's going to happen when, when everything is going to be automated? Yeah. Then we're going to have to figure out what to do with, with people. It would be mm-hmm. nice if we could all just sit around in an Agora-style <laughs> you know, environment and, and chat about like the, the, the next uh, best thing or debate, in, 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 you know, yeah. like they did. And the, in machines, the yeah. machines do all the boring <laughs> yeah. stuff while we just do the, uh, the fun stuff. Yeah, but, but then... I mean, you cannot stop. Right. Well, that is, we've been through it before with uh, industrialization and factory workers complaining you know, at the time. And that, that we've been through it a few times with uh, advances like that and changes. I, you know? I, for some reason, I'm not afraid of technology. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Why is that? You just have an optimistic attitude about the future in, in, in that sense, maybe? Or, or you're just made of stronger stuff that you know that whatever comes, you'll... Technology in itself is just a tool. We're not afraid of, of uh, computers and cell phones. It's just made uh, us be connected and fix the geographic divide. Like, I used to call my family 10 years ago, and I uh, spent a lot more money than I do yep. now using an application that is free. And yeah. I can not only hear them, I can see them. Right. It brings many good things and and bad things. And bad things. And and I like your your analogy that it's a tool. That's how I see it too. I'm a graphic designer, I use a computer for art, you know, and it's amazing as a tool for that. You know, I can do I can I can paint with unlimited colors, unlimited brushes, things mm-hmm. that I n- would never have thought when I was a kid. Um, but at the same time But there are downsides, yeah. I yeah, there are some downsides and people get affected by it and then um, people lose their jobs and uh, you know, it, it changes, and if, if they're in a place where they don't have the necessary skills, yeah. I, I sympathize. And, and But do you think it could help the immigration process if, if somehow a computer were running things instead of a person with a stamp maybe that they might be able to suss out quicker who is and who is not? I know you didn't like the word worthy, but whatever the legal classification would be. Yeah. Could you see a, a sci-fi future like that where people are just being, you know, green lit, red lit, like as they come? You know, I, I don't know. 
It's possible, right? I don't yeah, know. Anything's possible. Any 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 technology that is integrated in a process to expedite business needs, whether yeah. it's in in an immigration system sure, or in right. a healthcare system, <laughs> it's always uh, as I said, it's a tool. Yes. But just as a mean of tool, can it expedite stuff? I'm I'm sure it can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you sitting down with me to talk about this. Is there is there anything that you didn't get a chance to say that you... I saw you had some notes prepared here, so I was kind of waiting to see if there was anything that... Uh... Um, in general, like, Pittsburgh is home for us, mm-hmm. and we are here because we like it here, and if I did, like, we didn't, yeah. we would have been elsewhere. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, we wouldn't be hesitant to pack up and go again, like, just like we did when we came here but my husband and i we feel a responsibility to contribute Mm -hmm. and uh, and make this place better not just for us but for our kids and um, as long as we're here we're gonna do what we have to do Mm -hmm. to help not just the immigrants but everyone else yeah i find it interesting that you didn't just come here and just sort of like use up the american system whatever you're you're contributing all of this stuff to try to better it it's probably the stereotype that people come and they just sort of suck off of the american generosity or whatever but here you're coming in and you're adding all of these things i think that's really cool <laughs> thank you but i i think that should be everybody it's, it's sure. uh but it's i think that's not the stereotype you know what i mean the stereotype is someone comes and just uh, they're here absorbing everything and adding nothing and i mean for sure that's not the case in general, people always seem to expect a lot more from others and especially from governments. I've seen the effect of government. Uh, I, my parents lived in a communist uh, regime where the government took care of them, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But you should also know that you have certain powers, and especially in the U.S. is still the, the country of opportunity where individual voices matter, and it is a country where democracy still works, you know? <laughs> so you as an individual have a responsibility, just like I said, use every tool in your toolbox to pursue certain things to make your um, and everybody else's situation around you better. I like it. I really appreciate you sitting down with me to do this. Like I said, you know, we're strangers before this. And and I was telling you at the beginning, I'm always nervous when I start, but then I'm always so glad when it's over. And I I hope in some small way we've put something out there that does get people thinking about that kind of stuff. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you.